Do you plan on setting goals for 2021? Do you know there's another gear inside of you, but you feel like you're driving around with a parking brake on? Do you want 2021 to be your breakthrough year to make more money, to get that business off the ground, to get fit, to have an amazing marriage? The fact that you're right here right now listening to this means that yes, you do plan to set goals for 2021 and you do know there's another gear inside of you. But here's the problem. You're busy. So like most other people, you'll probably never get around to it. Or maybe you're planning on doing it. But when you sit down, you're not even sure where to start. How do you actually set the right goals and make sure that they stick? If any of this sounds like you, then join me for a virtual goal setting work session on December 30th. Just go to jimharshowjr.com slash 2021 to learn more and to register. So what's a virtual goal setting session? Before I tell you what this is, let me tell you what it isn't. This isn't a webinar where some supposed expert spouts off what you should be doing. This isn't just a workshop where you get a bunch of worksheets and then you walk away with some new ideas, but then you get busy and none of it ever sticks. Here's what it is. It's two hours and you and I are actually going to be doing the work together in a virtual small group setting live with other listeners. You might be thinking, well, Jim, I can do this on my own. Well, I used to think the same thing, but when I learned that every high performer in the world worked with a coach, it hit me that I should too. It's like a secret weapon that successful people have that they don't ever talk about. You're probably wondering what this costs. Well, let me ask you this. How much would you pay to finally figure out what you've been missing that's holding you back? How much would you pay to accomplish just one of your big goals, let alone multiple goals? Thousands of dollars? Like $1,000, maybe $500, that would be certainly reasonable. $250, that would be more than worth it. How about $100? Well, cut that in half, and that's the price. And you might be wondering, okay, well, why would you charge so low for this, Jim? Well, two reasons. Number one, by giving you an opportunity to work with me in a small group setting for two hours for next to nothing compared to what I normally charge, I hope that you decide that you want more. And so that's going to force me to over deliver for you. The second reason is I'm developing a new course and I want to get testimonials. So again, I have to over deliver. This is going to force me to give away my best stuff practically for free. My goal is to give you an experience that's going to be worth 10 times what you pay for it. And that way, even if I fail, if it's only worth five times what you paid for it, then you still get amazing results. Even if it's only worth twice what you paid for it, you're still going to give me an amazing testimonial. If not, I'll give you your money back. And obviously, this is not about the money for me. This $47, it's not going to change my life. But my goal is that it will change your life. You might be thinking, I know how to set goals, but Jim, my situation's unique. Well, here's the cool thing. I'm actually going to take your questions live during this work session. So whatever your unique situation, whatever your challenge that you're facing that nobody else is, you get to ask me how you should handle it. At this point, you might be thinking, well, I'm super busy between now and the end of the year. Well, if you sign up, but you can't attend live, not only do you get the recording, you also get free lifetime access to the materials so you can go back and do this anytime you want. So sign up now. Let's make this happen. Go to jimharshowjr.com slash 2021. Now here's the catch. In order to make this as impactful as possible for you, I can only take 25 people. So space is very limited. I also have a few bonuses for you, one of which is pretty absurd. I don't have the time to list them all here. So to see what those are, just go to jimharshowjr.com slash 2021. And my question for you is this, what possibly could stop you from making this small commitment that will change your life, this small investment to make change for you, to finally learn the system that world-class performers use to get results? Let's get to work. Go to jimharshowjr.com slash 2021 and claim your spot. Remember, there's only 25 spots. 
I'll see you in the work session. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today I bring you the one and only Ken Blanchard. Now, if you've never heard of Ken Blanchard, you've probably been living under a rock. Or if you haven't, I guess I'll forgive you, but you will know his name certainly after you listen to this interview. He's one of the OGs of influencers. I mean, this guy wrote the one minute manager back in 1982, and it's been a huge, huge bestseller. It's kind of recommended or required reading for every manager or leader out there. And there's a revised edition, the new one minute manager as well. And in this conversation, we talk about all kinds of leadership tips and tactics, but really he boils down his career into a few basic tips that we can all use no matter what level of leadership you're at, whether you're a leader in your home with your family or a leader in the classroom or uh, of a company or a middle manager or in a school classroom, whatever it might be, Ken shares practical advice for us. So a little bit about Ken. He's, he's 81 years old, by the way. I mean, this guy's been around and doing this for a long time and I really, you know, connected with him so well. I mean, I, honestly, just real quickly aside, uh, after the convert, after we stopped recording the interview, we were still chatting for several minutes and, uh, and we got cut off and we got cut off through the online platform that I use for recording the podcasts. Well, wouldn't you know, 30 seconds later, my phone rings and it's Ken and we're talking. He wanted to make sure we finished our conversation. Just really gracious with his time. I mean, I tell you, I've been big timed by much smaller minds than this guy. He's just so generous, so gracious. And you can see why he's a great leader and a leader that you would want to follow. So a little bit about Ken. He's one of the most influential leadership experts in the world. He's the co-author of, like I said, the New York Times bestseller, One Minute Manager, as well as 65 other books whose combined sales total more than 28 million copies in 47 languages. He wrote books, co-wrote books with Fred Smith, the founder and president and CEO of FedEx, as well as Southwest Airlines, former CEO and founder Herb Kelleher. I mean, he's been connected with the biggest names in business and co-written books with many of them. So here we go. Without further ado, my interview with Ken Blanchard. Ken, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Jim. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. I hope you're fantastic as well. I know you're out near the wildfires out there in San Diego. So I know you've had a run-in with them before. So uh, so stay safe out there. Good. I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we lost our house in 2007. We were in Florida at the time. And when we got home and walked down the driveway, it looked like they had cremated the place. So mm. talking about failure experiences, that was really quite a quite a learning experience. And uh, we decided always, how can you make uh, lemonade out of lemons? And so uh, we had a memorial celebration for our house and over a hundred people <laughs> came to tell stories about our house and their times uh. in it. And it was, it was really fabulous. Our daughter spoke last, she heads up marketing in our company. And she said, you know, I, I'll go to my mom and dad's house and I'd look in the garage and the closets and all, and they never threw anything out. And if anything happened to them, Scott, my brother, wouldn't be any help, and I'd have to clean the place out myself, and now I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> no more cleaning up. <laughs> we thought it was a little sac sacrilegious. <laughs> <laughs> so you approached something like that quite differently than I think most people would approach it, right? It's obviously a devastating experience to, to lose your home. 
what kind of mindset do you have that allows you to look at something you know so tragic and and turn it into a celebration i've never heard of somebody doing that well you know uh, one of the things uh, jim i always felt is that the some of the best managers i worked with over the years played a lot of competitive sports and i played a lot of competitive basketball and golf and tennis and and so I'm used to losing. I didn't win all the time. And you have to get up. You can't go into the next game moaning about the last game. You got to say, okay, where are we going to go now? And I think that's really been my philosophy because I've been hit a few times in my career and I go, whoa, that's really interesting. And all uh, I wanted to be a dean of students. You know, I thought that would really be great because I had worked in the dormitories when I was an undergraduate as a dorm counselor and all that kind of thing. And so uh, I applied to all the good schools that had that. And I turned out I couldn't get into any of them. <laughs> you know, I was never very good at taking tests, you know. Uh, the associate dean of students at Cornell had uh, gone to Colgate. And he said, I think I could get you provisionally accepted to Colgate. They got a school of education. And so he did. And he got me provisionally accepted. So I went over to Colgate and I got in this education program. I had been a government and philosophy major and the classes were really boring. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the bar at the Colgate Inn after a few weeks thinking, I can't believe I'm going to be over here for a couple of two years doing this. And the way the good Lord works sitting next to me was a, a young professor of sociology, I found out. His wife was back packing up and he had just gotten his doctor's degree from Illinois. And and I was telling my dilemma. He said, well, why don't you come and major with me? And I said, in sociology, what's that about? I said, he said, well, we study leadership and, and groups and all that. I said, well, that sounds really interesting. Can you get me transferred? He says, yeah, I'm new. I bet I could do that. So I ended up getting a master's degree in sociology. And so I said, boy, I'm ready to be a dean now. And they said, no, you should get a doctor's degree. I said, doctor's degree? You've got to be kidding me. How am I going to do that? So I applied around, of course, couldn't get into any, but uh, I had taken a course one summer in educational leadership from a professor at Cornell, uh, so to kind of lighten my load. And uh, so I called Don McCarty uh, and I said, Don, I, they say I should get a doctor's degree. Can you get me provisionally accepted into your program? <laughs> he said, yeah, can I think I can. So I'm the big provisional PhD, you know, and uh, so it's just really is uh, fun. So, boy, I'm ready to be a dean uh, now. So uh, I went out there and started to apply for, for jobs, you know, uh, and I, I met people at Dartmouth and Wesleyan and Northern Illinois and all, and they were all going to have me on campus. And I never heard from any of them. Hmm. And <laughs> so I called the guy at Dartmouth who I had gone out and drank with. And I said, John, you said you would invite me to campus. So I, I said, I haven't heard from you. He said, oh, can I feel badly? I should have called you. I said, what's the problem? He said, you got two terrible recommendations in your placement file. <laughs> this, was, this is when you would ask people to write recommendations and you couldn't read what they said. And sure. I said, "Who? from whom? He said, from the dean of students and the associate dean. I said, oh, that's helpful. He said, what, what's the dean uh, say? He said, oh, Ken Blanche is a uh, really nice guy. Just don't let him near academics. He's, he's just got no interest. You know, don't let him near the faculty. And I said, what do the associate dean say? He said, well, Ken Blanche is a lovely guy, not particularly intelligent, but a lovely guy. <laughs> so I'm dead, you know. So I go back to the bar, you know, and <laughs> where a lot of decisions are made and they're 
there was a guy there by the name of Joe DiStefano who had gotten an MBA at Harvard Business School and he was getting a PhD in social psych. And I had met him and he was paying for his degree by playing the piano in bars. And so I told Joe about my situation. He said, oh, he said, the associate dean at Harvard Business School that I got to know well just left and he's the president of Ohio University. He said, write to him and, and see what he thinks, you know, about a job. So I wrote to Vern Alden and he sent my credentials to the dean of the business school and the dean of the business school called and he said, Ken, you got crazy background, but we got crazy people. Come on out. I'm looking for an assistant dean. And so I flew out and became assistant to the dean of the College of Business. And when I got there, he said, Ken, I want you to teach a course. And I had never thought about teaching because my faculty said that I couldn't write, you know. <laughs> they said, that's why I should be an administrator. And uh, he said, I don't care anything about that. He said, but I want you to teach. And so Paul Hersey had just arrived as the head of the management department. And I had done my doctoral dissertation on Fred Fiedler, who was the first situational leadership theorist. So I had no trouble teaching a management course. And after a couple of weeks, I came home and said to my wife, boy, this is what I ought to be doing, teaching. And she said, what about the writing? I said, I don't know. I'll figure something out. And so I heard Hersey taught a great leadership course. And so I stopped him in December 1966 and said, Paul, can I sit in your class next semester? He said, nobody audits my course. If you want to take it for credit, you're welcome. And I thought that was interesting. I had a PhD and he didn't. And he wants me to take <laughs> his course for credit, you know. So I talked to Margie and she said, well, is he any good? I said, he's supposed to be great. She said, well, get your ego out of the out of the way and take his damn course, you know. And so I had to talk to the registrar to letting me. And so I got to Hersey's course and wrote all the papers and June 67, Paul comes into my office. He said, Ken, he said, I've been teaching leadership for 10 years. I think I'm better than anybody. And they want me to write a textbook. He said, but uh, I'm not comfortable writing it all by myself. And I've been looking for a good writer like you. Would you be willing to co-author it with me? <laughs> I said, we ought to be a great team. You know, I'm not supposed to write and you're a little uncomfortable uh, with it. Why don't we do it? And so we wrote a textbook called Management of Organizational Behavior. So I went to see the dean. And I said, I quit as an administrator because I'm going to be a faculty member. I got a book coming out. He said, you can't quit. I said, why not? He said, because I was going to fire you. I said, really? He says, yeah, because you're a lousy administrator, which I was. <laughs> so it was kind of a photo finish between him firing me and me quitting. And I ended up becoming a faculty member. And I ended up going to UMass and, and Amherst and teaching there. And then ended up coming on a one-year sabbatical leave to California. Uh, and this journey was a really interesting journey because I got invited to a cocktail party that Adelaide Brie, who was a, wrote visualizations, the directing the movies of your mind. She was the first one on, on self-healing of cancer. And she wrote a book about Est, about Warner Earhart. And he, it's the only one he ever endorsed. And she decided to have a party of all the authors in town. And since I had a textbook, I qualified. And I get there and Spencer Johnson was there. And he wrote all these children's books with his wife called Value Tales, The Value of Courage, The Story of Jackie Robinson, The Value of Determination, The Story of Helen Keller, The Value of Honesty, The Story of Abe Lincoln. And my wife meets him first and hand carries him over and said, you two guys ought to write a children's book for managers. They won't read anything else. <laughs> so Spencer was working on a one-minute scolding with a psychiatrist on how to discipline kids. And so I invited him to a seminar I was doing in, in town, and he sat in the back and the next week, and he laughed. He came running up at the end. He said, forget parenting. Let's do the one-minute manager. <laughs> and so we started looking at what he was doing and what I was doing. And, and since he was a children's book writer and I was a storyteller, we decided to run a, you know, write a parable. I mean, 
who would have ever thunk it? We met the first week in November. We had a draft of the book by the time we were going to the Rose Bowl at the end of December. It was a little story about three little secrets of the one-minute manager. <laughs> and so I said, Spencer, let's go to New York and get a publisher. He said, no. He said, they'll beat us up and take all the money. He said, we need to self-publish it and prove we got something here. And so we self-published it. We sold 20,000 copies, uh, Jim, with no advertising just from uh, the Young Presidents Organization, YPO, who had kind of adopted Margie and I when we came out. And they said, you know, what are you going to do at the end of the year? We're going back to the university. And they said, no, you're not. You're going to start your own company. And we said, we can't even balance our checkbook. How are we going to do that? And they said, we'll help you. And five presidents became our advisory board and help us set up the company. And, and so it was a, it's a trip. I mean, so there's a whole bunch of failure experiences and rallying failure experiences. Sure. That's why I think my competitive athletics helped me because I, when I get hit, I go, whoa, isn't that interesting? You, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of sports did you play, Ken? I played basketball and I played uh, tennis and golf. Yeah. Basketball was my big sport and it was really fun. Well, you talked about the writing and, and, you know, 28 million copies sold, 47 languages. I know it really didn't work out for you, but uh, but I'd be interested <laughs> in talking about the One Minute Manager. I mean, why do you think that caught on? You wrote it in 1982. Yeah. Why do you think it was so popular and, and remains popular today? Well, I think one of the reasons is all the best-selling business books up to that were all about Japanese management. And I think the country was sick and tired of it. And when the One Minute Manager came out, Tom Peters and, and uh, his partner came out with In Search of Excellence, and John Nesbitt wrote Megatrends. And the three of us dominated the bestseller list for two or three years. So I think the country was really ready for it. And since we wrote this parable and all, people passed it around, you know. And the neat thing about Nesbitt and, and Peters and, and uh, his partner is that they summarized what they were going to teach in the first chapter. So they were longer books, but people would read the first chapter and then decide what else they might want to read. And uh, so in many ways, they were all short books in a, in a sense, but we just dominated the bestseller list. And you know what, Jim? We all went to Cornell. Tom Peters was a fraternity brother of mine a couple of years behind me. And John Nesbitt was a graduate assistant in the government department, which was my major. So we said, oh, Harvard, you know, you can forget it. It's Cornell. <laughs> That's right. I, uh, Harvard was on my short list of schools. It came down to Penn, Harvard, and, and Virginia. I ended up heading south. You, you've been in the industry and in, in speaking and writing about leadership for decades now. And there's only so much that we can cover in a short podcast episode. But if you were to boil successful, effective leadership down into you know, a paragraph or a few things that you can cover in the next few minutes. I mean, what are those things? What are those few ideas, concepts that you can crystallize for us that you see in the most effective leaders? Well, Jim, I, I think the world is in desperate need of a different leadership role model. We've seen what self-serving leaders have done in every sector of society all around the world. And so I'm a big proponent of servant leadership. And a lot of people think when I talk about servant leadership, I'm talking about the inmates running the prison or trying to please everybody or some kind of religious movement. But they don't understand that there's two parts of servant leadership. And this is what great leaders understand. The first one is vision, direction, values, and goals. 
because leadership's about going somewhere. And the responsibility for that goes with the hierarchy. It doesn't mean you don't involve your people in setting vision and direction. But if people don't understand what business they're in, where you're going, what your values are, what your goals are, shame on you. It's your responsibility to make sure that that's really clear. Now, once that's done, then the servant part of servant leadership kicks in. And now you turn the pyramid upside down. And now it's your job to work for your people. Because if I was going to say anything to people they need to remember as a leader is it's not about you. It's about the people you serve. And your job is to help people win. And you'll get a kick out of this. When I was a college professor, I was always in trouble. Uh, I was investigated by some of the best faculty committees. And one of the reasons they got upset with me is the first day of class, I would give out the final examination. And they'd say, what are you doing? I said, I'm confused. They say, you acted. I said, I thought we were supposed to teach these kids. You are, but don't give them the questions in the final. And I'd say, not only are I going to give them the questions in the final, what do you think I'm going to do all semester? I'm going to teach them the answers. So when they get the final exam, they get A. Life's about getting A. It's not some stupid normal distribution curve. And I tell you, I've been out there for a long time just saying, you got to be kidding me. How many of you go out and hire losers? You know, we lost some of our worst people last year. We need to hire some new losers to fill the low slots. No, you either hire winners who steal from other companies or you hire potential winners who you need to train and development. So that's my big thing. You're here for your people. Your job is to help them win, get them the final exam ahead of time, and then help teach them the answers. Yeah. So clear expectations is a, is a big part of that first step of servant leadership, letting people know exactly what their expectations are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not clear on that, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Why do you think most people struggle with that? Why do you think, I mean, it seems so basic, so fundamental, but a lot of people struggle with that, right? They, there, there's assumptions that people know what their expectations are, or there are, are lack of communication. And then even bigger than that, because a lot of leaders may be listening saying, well, I set goals and, and we have expectations, but it's the follow through that often That's lacks. Right. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest problem we have found with uh, ineffective leaguers is the human ego. And you can call that edging God out or everything good outside. And uh, they end up being self-oriented. And there's two ways ego plays. One is false pride when you act like you're smarter than other people, you know, and you think all well, all the brains are up the hierarchy in your office, you know. And the other one, which a lot of people don't think of as, as an ego problem, is fear or self-doubt, you know, where you have a less than philosophy. I don't know God, I, if I can do this and all. And uh, the anecdote for false pride is humility. And a lot of people think humility is a, a weakness, but I think it was C.S. Lewis or one of those old cats who said years ago, that people with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. Mm. And so that's what our, our buddy uh, wrote about in Good to Great, Jim Collins. He had found out that the two characteristics were resolve, determination to accomplish a goal and vision and all. And the second one was humility. Initially, he said to his researcher, "How humility can't be the number two highest quality. And they kept on coming back and saying, Jim, that's what it is. But it, it's really, it's a powerful thing. And then the way you overcome fear of self-doubt is to realize God didn't make any junk. You know, my mother used to say to me, don't act like you're better than anybody else, but don't let anybody else act like they're better than you. There's a pearl of goodness in everybody because God didn't make any junk. Dig for that pearl. And I found that that's really true. And if you get your ego out of the way, 
and you realize that you're here to serve, not to be served, uh, then you can do what I'm saying. But if you're always worried about how you look and what people are going to think and all, it's about you and not about your people. Don't forget what I talked about at the beginning of the show. If you want to join me and a small group of listeners in a goal-setting work session so that you can have a bomb-proof action plan for 2021, go to jimharshowjr.com slash 2021 now. I've said on this podcast before that I think the best example of servant leadership is Jesus Christ. I mean, this is someone who, you know, whether you're a believer or not, and I am, I just think that, you know, he was the ultimate servant leader. I mean, is there uh, or are there leaders, Ken, who you really look at as just the consummate leader, uh, the consummate servant leader? Well, I agree with you. And I don't know if you know, we have a lead like Jesus ministry that's all over the world. Uh, when the woman and manager got it came out, I got on the Hour of Power with Robert Shula. And I had kind of turned my back on my faith. And Shula said, Ken, I love the woman and manager. He said, you know, he's the greatest woman and manager of all time. I said, who's that? He said, Jesus. I said, really? He said, yeah. He was really clear on goals. Isn't that your first secret woman? I go, yeah. He said, you and Tom Peters didn't invent management by wandering around. Jesus did. He wandered from one little village to another. If anybody showed any interest, he'd he prays him, heal him. Isn't that your second secret? One minute prays you. Yeah. And he said, if people stepped out of line, he wasn't afraid to give a woman a reprimand. He threw the money loungers out of the temple. Isn't that your third? Yeah. You know, and so then I started to read the Gospels and I just laughed because he was SL2 leader, you know, our uh, situational approach to effective leadership. And he was a one minute manager. He did it, it all. And he took these 12 incompetent guys. You wouldn't have hired that lot and turned them into quite a, quite a team. And so uh, it really is true. But in terms of leaders that really have done, I'm just amazed that, you know, I got to know Herb Kelleher and Colleen Barrett, Southwest Airlines. I wrote a book with Colleen. She took over as president when Herb sat down and they were absolute classic uh, servant leaders who were there all about their people. A lot of people don't know Southwest is 80% uh, union. It's the biggest union shop in the airline. Did and Herb, when they came to him, said they wanted us to vote for a union. He said, oh, good. Join the union as long as you can sit in the same side of the table as me. But if they want you to sit in the opposite side, vote vote against them. And union leaders are always in, in there. I mean, Jimmy Blanchard was the president of Synovus. They won the best company to work for by Fortune magazine so often they stopped him applying. And he said that my uh, leadership book is the Bible, uh, you know, and then you you take uh, the folks that started uh, Wegmans, the whole family that started that. They unbelievable. The number one company to work for, they were chosen in the grocery business. And I got to speak to them after the founder stepped down and turned it over to his daughter. And just uh, amazing uh, stuff. Nordstrom's. I got to work with Bill, you know, the Nordstrom brothers. And, and uh, you know, you ask people that... Uh, Nordstrom, if they can do something for you, they say, what, no problem, you know, because they turned the pyramid upside down. They let them bring their brains to. So it's it's only the leaders of fields, Starbucks, you know, look at the leader of Starbucks, you know, what an incredible servant leader he is. And so I'm working on a book now called Duh, D-A-H, apostrophe, why is in common sense common practice, duh. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to that. Yet another great book. I'm sure it's coming out, so we'll keep an eye out for that one. You've mentioned uh, uh, yet another book that you co-wrote. You've 
co-written most of the books that you have published and, and collaboration has been a big part of your career. And I want to talk about that for a second. Nearly every book you've written has been a collaboration and they say that you can go fast alone or far together. You seem to have gone far together. Uh, what insights can you share for the listener who, who has an idea for a business or a book or a nonprofit and they may, you know, how do they collaborate when they have their own idea, but maybe somebody else has a different idea of going about something again, whether they're in a leadership role or, or they're trying to start, you know, write a book or, or, or start a business, yeah. et cetera. Well, it's really interesting. My mother used to say to me, why don't you write more books by yourself? Cause I've actually only written two out of over 60 by myself because I told her I already know what I know. So that's not going to be very interesting. And uh, I love to work with other people because one plus one is a lot greater than two. And uh, I think if you got a good idea, find somebody else who's excited about it and, and all because no one of us is as smart as all of us. And plus writing is a lonely job. And if you got a teammate, it really makes quite a difference. And so I've really had so much fun writing. I mean, you know, and wrote a book with uh, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, called The Generosity Factor, because I found that they were one of the most generous families I've ever run into, you know. And Gary Ridge, president of WD-40, you know, who was in our master's degree program at the University of San Diego. I looked at all the MBA programs, and they don't teach anything about leadership. So at the University of San Diego, we have this Master of Science in Executive Leadership. We go from self-leadership, where you need to find out about yourself, to one-on leadership, where you're building trust, to team leadership, where you're building a community, to uh, you know, organizational leadership, which is about culture. And, and Gary was in our first cohort, and he's, he's applied all of it to WD-40. And the, the last time they did it, they had a 93% employee engagement score. Can you imagine uh, that? You know, So I'm going, duh. Uh, yeah. And uh, 99% of the people the last time they asked, filled out, said yes to the question, I am proud to tell people I uh, work for WD-40, you know, so I'm, that's why I'm going, duh, you know, <laughs> say, who uses it? Only the best. <laughs> yeah. So what about you personally, Ken? I mean, over the years, you've created incredible success. Uh, you've collaborated with some of the biggest names in business. Are there any routines or habits that you do that you most credit for your success? Well, I think uh, I learned, I wrote a book with Norman Vincent Peale, was an amazing guy. He was 86 years old when I met him, wrote The Power of Positive Thinking. But Norman taught me is that we have two selves. We have an external task in self that's used to getting jobs and then we have a thoughtful, reflective self. Now, which one wakes up quicker in the morning? The external task-oriented self, you know, the alarm goes off. And a friend of mine, great pastor John Ortberg said, why do they call it the opportunity clock or it's gonna be a great day uh, clock? No, the alarm goes off and you jump into your task-oriented self. You're trying to eat while you're washing and boom, you jump into your car, you're on your cell phone, you get the work this meeting, blah, 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 blah. you know, and you get home, you're absolutely exhausted fall into bed, don't have any energy to say goodnight to somebody who might be lying next to you. The next day, boom, the alarm goes off. And pretty soon you're in a rat race. And I love Lily Talman, the great Hollywood philosopher. She said, the problem with a rat race is you, even if you win it, you're still a rat. And <laughs> so one of the things I've learned from Norman is I try to enter my day slowly and wake up my thoughtful, reflective self. And I think about, okay, 
what what do I have on my plate today, you know? And so I'll sit in the side of the bed and put my hands on my knees and think about it, and then lie them down at the, at the cross, give them over to the Lord. And then I put my hands upward and say, okay, you know, is there anything I should be thinking about today and all? And just try to enter my day slowly. And I have a mission statement that says, I'm a loving teacher, an example of simple truth that helps myself and others to awaken the presence of God in our lives so we realize that we're here to serve, not to be served. And I read that and say, okay, given what I'm up to today, how can I serve? I mean, I knew I was going to be on with you. How could I help you in terms of what you're trying to do? And then at the end of the day, a friend of mine said, Blanchard, you've goofed up my life for a long time. Now you even do at the end of the day. Because he said, I never used to write journals because I'm competitive and people write uh, you know, journals with, you know, three or four colors and poetry and all. But now he said, I figured it out. And I started doing, it's really fascinating. You write a journal and you put it at the top of the date and you put praisings. And then you say, what did I do well today that's consistent with who I wanted to be today when I sat there in the morning? And then redirections. What did I do today that I wish I could instantly replay? And boy, I found, Jim, is if you track praisings and redirections at the end of the day, over a period of time, you're going to see the areas you need some help on and maybe need a mentor and, and all. So I like that old guy, I don't know who it was, that said years ago, a unexamined life is not worth living. Hmm. So I think you ought to take a look at what you're doing. Yeah. Do you do any journaling? Do you do much writing outside? Obviously, you're writing a lot. You've written quite a few books over the years. I mean, my, my journaling is the praising and the redirections. Yeah, a great simple exercise. Yeah. Now the mantra. I'm curious about the mantra that you mentioned, and whether you, whether you call it a, uh, a mantra or affirmation or, or whatever. But the statement that you say every morning. Where did that come from? Did you sit down one day and create that? Was there a process, a formula, a, a framework that you used? Where did that come from? Yes, i i went to I went to one of Tony Robbins's <laughs> workshops, and and he helped us develop a, a mission statement. And yeah. uh, I've been kind of a colleague and a mentor for. Tony since he was 24 years old. And so uh, off of that, I came out with this uh, mission statement. And and um, it's uh, stayed, stayed with me for years because it seems to be consistent with what I want to be, which is a loving teacher and example. Do you believe in the power, power of those words, like, like saying those words? Does that kind of change the direction uh, of your thinking just a little bit every morning? Yes, I think if you reinforce that in your own mind and actually even speak it out, it it really helps. You know, this is who I am. This is who I want to be today. You know, am I doing that at the end of the day? So that's a really uh, thing. And I I have a three by five card and I set my goals for the day, you know, consistent with who I want to be and what I have to do. And then I take a look at that at the end. And that's where I get my praisings and my redirections from. Mm. And that's a habit that you do. Yes, you know, and so it's done that for quite a while, you know, and I just recently celebrated the 60th anniversary of my 21st birthday. So I'm <laughs> kind of really excited about the, this is the fourth 30 of my life. Or, or the thir- <laughs> I'm ending the third 30 of my life. Yeah, you're doing a good job. I've uh, just been editing and, and giving some feedback on a book by Deborah Z- Zaki, who started The Golden Door and Rancho Las Porta and kind of the queen of wellness. She's 98 years old and still going strong because yeah. uh, she has a vision of what she wants to do for the world. 
Well, hopefully you'll continue having those 30th birthdays and uh, we'll continue to learn from you. Uh, looking forward to that next book you have coming up and, and, and maybe some more after that. And Ken, you, you've, you've had an incredible success over your career. You talked a little bit about at the beginning of our conversation about some failures, some struggles. You weren't good at test taking. Uh, you were told you, you are not a good writer. And that obviously turned out to be not true. Has there been a time in your career where you failed? where you've tried to do something and maybe it's something you already talked about, or maybe it's something totally different, but a time when you failed and, and you felt that self-doubt that we all deal with when we fail at something and how you move through that. Well, I think I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, I've had some failure experiences in terms of direction I wanted to go. And all of a sudden, boom, people said I couldn't go that way. And so I had to rally. And as I say, I, I think it's the competitive sp- athletics that really helped me get through. And also, I, you probably got the impression, as I was telling stories, I got an incredible wife in, in Margie. We met at Cornell, and and we've mar- been married 58 years. And uh, we have a little pillow in our study that says, uh, happiness is being married to your best friend. Hmm. And uh, also, you know, Margie keeps me on the straight and narrow. And if you ask our kids and all, who's the glue of the family, they're going to say, it's mom. You know, because I'll be heading off in some direction, and Margie'll she never raise her voice. She'd say, "Can," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's just uh, been great. She has a PhD in communications, and so when we started our company forty years ago, uh, she was the president because she's much better at doing that kind of thing than I am. I'm I'm the chief spiritual officer. I I leave a morning message for everybody every day, and I I do three things. So. One, I uh, tell people who to pray for. We have every faith and non-faith, and people tell me if somebody's hurting in their family and all. We got a lot of data, the power of prayers. And secondly, I praise people. People tell me who are, who are doing good things, you know, and all those uh, kinds of things. And the final thing is I'd say something that I've learned recently. I, I met a guy in uh, the airport a number while back from New Zealand, and I sent him some books, and he sent me a note say, Ken, you know the business you're in is you're teaching the people the power of love rather than the love of power. And boy, I thought, wow, that's a really interesting thing. And uh, so I tell people who to pray for, I praise people, and then I leave an inspirational message. And it really pumps me up in terms of of things. Like uh, I told everybody today, Marge and I last night watched a, a new documentary called The Social Dilemma about some of the pitfalls of social media, you know, because it really argues that there's only two businesses that call their customers users, and that's drug dealers and uh, social media engineers. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's hard for families to have a dinner where they talk anymore because everybody's on their gadget. So it's a, we have some interesting challenges and there's so many positive things too about media because, I mean, look what Zoom has done through this whole pandemic, it's been given us a chance to communicate and do things we couldn't do. But boy, yeah. you can get carried away uh, if you're on your gadgets all the time. A friend of mine said, you ought to uh, plug your phones in down in the kitchen overnight to charge them up, not, not next to your bed. And they told us a while back and we keep on, oh, <laughs> we haven't done it yet. But yeah. it's so stupid that you don't, you know. For the listeners who, you know, they, they hear this conversation and maybe they've read your books, 
and they want to take action and they're looking for something, some kind of action that they can take in the next 24 to 48 hours to really start embracing the mindset of maybe it's servant leadership, or maybe it's collaboration, or maybe it's some of these habits that you talked about in routines. Um, what's one thing that the listener can do in the next 24 to 48 hours to start moving towards their goals? Well, I think we kind of get at it a little bit earlier because I think the first thing you ought to do is think about the past. What have you done that you have felt good about? What are you spending your time now doing? You know, And people ask me at my age, why are you still working like crazy? I said, because I love what I do. I mean, if you love what you do, you're never going to have to work another day in your life. And then I would sort of say, okay, what do I want to do going forward? You know, So learn from the past, live in the present, but plan the, the future. And that doesn't take a lot of time, but it's constantly saying, hey, I'm open to learn. One of the things Norman Vincent Peale said to me when I worked with him, he said, Ken, if you stop learning, lie down and let them put the dirt on you because you're already dead. <laughs> I think that should be your philosophy. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, Ken, this has been a fantastic conversation. So many takeaways from this. For the listener, uh, make sure you go to jimharshawjr.com slash action, and you can get the action plan from this episode. Ken, where can the listeners go to find you, follow you, buy your books, follow you on social media, et cetera? Any links or websites that you can share with us? Yeah, it's uh, kenblanchard.com is one, and then kenblanchardbooks.com. And then leadlikejesus.com, if you were interested. We're in, you know, 25 and 30 nations around the world, not trying to convert people, but saying here's one of the greatest leadership role models of all time. And so those would be the things I would suggest. Excellent. And again, for the listener, we'll have all those in the action plan so you can grab that. Ken, thank you so much for making time to, to share your wisdom with us. Well, it's been a joy, Jim. Thank you for stimulating. I'm kind of excited about my past and my present and my potential future. So yeah. I'm going to go out there and go for it today. <laughs> Good. Well, keep it up. Uh, we're going to continue learning from you as, as long as you can continue teaching to us. So thank you for that. Don't forget what I talked about at the beginning of the show. If you want to join me and a small group of listeners in a goal-setting work session so that you can have a bomb-proof action plan for 2021, go to jimharshawjr.com slash 2021.